We are in week two of a six-week series on the family, looking at our individual households and then more broadly at the family of God. And we looked at Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, examining the way a Christian wife is to respond to her husband's leadership. And we saw that she is to line up under or submit to her husband, and she does this because of the special roles that God gave to both of them, not because she is in any way inferior, of course, but because of the roles that God gave to both the husband and the wife. And we're going to return to Ephesians 5 and look at Paul's instructions regarding the Christian husband and how he is to relate to his wife. And we'll see that a, a godly husband who desires the commendation of God has a role to fulfill and a particular way in which he is to fulfill it. Every now and again, a woman will claim that the man she married is somehow different from the man she dated. So ladies, if you've ever started a sentence to your husband with the words, I remember when you used to, then you might be able to relate to this uh, young bride who found the transition from girlfriend to wife to be so dramatic that she contacted husband tech support. Now, you probably didn't even know there was husband tech support. I didn't know. But here's what she wrote to husband tech support. Last year, I upgraded from boyfriend 5.0 to husband (laughs) 1.0 and noticed a slowdown in the performance of the flower and jewelry applications that had operated flawlessly under the boyfriend 5.0 system. In addition, Husband 1.0 uninstalled many other valuable programs, such as Romance 9.9 and Attentive 7.3. Husband 1.0 seems to have installed several undesirable programs, such as NFL (laughs) 7.4, Night with the Buddies 3.2, and Golf Game 4.1. Conversation 8.0 no longer runs. And house, house cleaning 2.6 simply crashes the system. <laughs> I've tried running nagging 5.3 to fix these problems, but to no avail. What can I do? Signed, desperate. Now, I know we, it's something we commonly joke about. The man gets the girl, and then he changes in, in undesirable ways. But we're going to see from God's word that just the opposite is what's supposed to take place. A husband's love for his wife deepens because he loves her as Christ loves his bride, the church. So guys, we only have two points pertaining to husbands, but it's going to take us a whole lifetime to practice living these out with our wives. And the two points are these. Men are to lead as Christ leads, and men are to love as Christ loves. To see the first point that men are to lead as Christ leads, we're actually going to turn back to the section we looked at where he addresses wives in verses 23 and 24 because after telling wives to submit to their husband's authority, you might expect Paul to turn to the husbands and instruct them to assume that authority, but he doesn't do that. The idea of the husband being the leader of his family comes from his instructions to the wives, not to the husbands. And so we're going to go back to that and take a look at verse 23 and 4, where it says this. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands 
in everything. I pointed out that that word head in verse 23 refers to a position of authority. The wife submits or lines up under her husband because he is the head or the authority or the leader in his home. So for the Christian husband, family leadership is a role he must assume. Tasks, functions, and responsibilities can be delegated. But headship, authority, and most sobering, accountability to God never can be. It always rests with the husband. And so, guys, our first application, I think, for us is simply to make sure that we are, in fact, leading our homes. It might be that over the years you've stopped leading, or maybe you never started leading your wife and family, and you need to get your family lined up in proper order. And that's not always easy. Some men need to overcome indecisiveness. Leadership may not necessarily be easy for a man. Some men need to overcome fear. They'd rather stand back and watch than step in and potentially fail or look bad in the attempt. And some men just need to overcome apathy. Maybe over time, you've slowly distanced themselves away until one day they wake up as followers or more likely as totally disengaged observers of the family life. So guys, that's first. Making sure that you're working toward fulfilling the role that God has given you when you married. And if you're not, you need to repent You need to ask God to help you stand in the place where God commanded you to stand, at the head of your family, leading them. For all of us husbands, owning our role and doing it well are two different things. For example, a man might understand that he's the head of his home, but in implementing it, he acts more like a bully than a biblical leader. Another man might fail to take into account the wisdom of his wife, and so he misses opportunities to make the best decisions. Still another man might lead in a way that is self-serving rather than sacrificial. So to keep on track in our role as head of the family, we need to seek to lead as Christ leads. We need to lead in ways that are similar to how Christ leads his bride. We are to mimic Christ in our leadership style, and when we do... We will be more effective leaders, and our families respond better. So to lead as Christ leads, we need to look to Scripture and find out what biblical leadership looks like. And obviously, we don't have time to do much of that. But I do want this to be somewhat practical. And so I'm just going to give six brief examples regarding biblical leadership from a New Testament perspective. And I tried to pick some that I think seem contrary to society's view of leadership. So six things, six ways that Christ leads his bride. Number one, Christ taught and modeled that leadership means servanthood. As Jesus washes the feet of his disciples in John 13, he teaches that the emblem of leadership is not a throne, it's not a club, it's not a big desk, and it's not dad's lazy boy. The biblical leader is in the lowliest position of all, at the feet of the ones that he leads, meeting their needs. A godly husband leads by serving, not by intimidation. Secondly, Jesus acted for the benefit of those he led. Mark 10.45 tells us that Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. 
he acted in the best interest of the church at great personal cost to himself. And similarly, a husband's leadership should not be self-serving, but should seek the good of his wife. Some women feel that male headship is a really good deal for the husbands and a really raw deal for her. And if that's her experience, something has gone wrong in that home because a godly husband leads for the benefit of his wife and his family, not for what he can get out of it. Number three, Jesus led by being actively engaged as he personally taught and instructed his followers. Jesus was not distant. He was not aloof from the disciples as he led them. He was with them, teaching them, helping them, encouraging them, and building them up. He was not parked on a couch, barking out orders, and pointing to the things that needed to happen. A godly husband leads by being actively engaged with his family, not by being aloof and distant. Number four, Jesus led by example. When Jesus said repeatedly, follow me, What he meant by that was, do the things that I do. Act the way that I act. I'm giving you an example. Follow in that way. And the husband who has the attitude that people should do as he says and not as he does is not modeling what Christ did. A godly husband leads by example, not by command only. Fifth, Jesus maintained his authority while delegating and sharing responsibility. For example, you'll recall that Jesus paired up the disciples and he sent them out to preach in his name and to cast out demons in his name. He delegated that. Jesus also, the scripture tells us, never baptized anyone. He had his disciples do all of the baptizing that needed to be done during his ministry. And a lot of delegation and sharing of responsibilities happens in the home. The husband does not do every task. He doesn't necessarily take care of every issue. But remember that delegation does not shift ultimate accountability. So here's a question for you. What areas of the home is the husband not the head over? The answer is none, right? However labor is shared in your home, the husband is ultimately the accountable head. A godly husband shares responsibility but does not relinquish headship. And then last, Jesus led in ways that were careful, loving, and tender as opposed to harsh or cruel. The Apostle Peter, if you want to turn to it in 1 Peter 3, 7 The Apostle Peter gives men a very helpful perspective on how we should temper our leadership regarding our wives. In 1 Peter 3, 7, he says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Peter is saying that a man must treat his wife in a way that reflects wisdom. And he says to treat her tenderly. Those two words there, someone weaker, refer to a precious or fragile vessel. The word someone, they've personified, the translators have personified the word vessel and made it be someone. Uh, But it's, it's, it's not saying that your wife is weak. It's saying that we treat her like a fragile piece of china. A godly husband treats his wife with care, tenderness, and honor, and is not harsh, cruel, or domineering. 
Now, obviously, that's an extremely brief look at leadership. But the point is that we should make it our goal to learn and observe how it is that Christ led his church. And as a godly husband and a Christian man, that is how we should seek to lead our homes. Now, ladies, before I leave leadership behind, I want you to know that you can really help your spouse in some very practical ways. And first, let me ask you this probing question. When a leadership decision is required in your home, would you rather, A, your husband stays out of it and lets you handle it, or B, your husband handles it, but in a way that you don't like or that messes up your plans? Now, both of those are bad. Right? Those are two, you're choosing between two bad options. But said another way, are you willing to submit to your husband's leadership as unto the Lord, even when you have doubts about it, and even when you'd rather be in control yourself? See, here's what I'm getting at, and what I want to encourage you to guard against. Sometimes a wife might be tempted to just wish the husband would stay out of things, but then she can become resentful that he's not the family leader. And other times she wants him to lead, but he doesn't do it the way that she likes, and she has her ways of letting him know that she is displeased. So wives, guard your heart, guard your reactions. I asked your husband to lead in a way that would make it a joy for you to follow him, and I want to ask you to follow him in a way that makes it a joy to lead. Express gratitude and appreciation for his leadership. Support him in his decisions. If he's not leading, you might prayerfully consider asking him to handle a particular situation and then kindly thank him when he does, whether or not it's to your liking. All right, back to the guys. That's enough for the ladies, right? We need to move on. But husbands, you are to lead as Christ leads, and next, you are to love as Christ loves. So Paul, in Ephesians 5, turns his gaze onto the husbands in these next six verses. And he says this, starting in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. The Greek word love there is Agape, the highest form of love, and in biblical usage, agape represents God's unconditional love for us, which believers are called to reciprocate and practice among each other. So right from its very definition and meaning, the Christian husband finds application in how he is to treat his wife. He loves her not because she is lovable, even though she is, of course, but because he chooses to love her. It's not because she has loved him first, or even because she loves him back. 
Agape love is a commitment to strive for the highest good of the object of your love. It's going all out. It's doing whatever it takes for the benefit of the one who is loved. It's completely unselfish and totally devoted to the other. And agape love is difficult because so often our sin and pride creeps in and we take our eyes off of the one we love, put our eyes on ourselves, and act in sinful ways. Men, maybe you can relate to Pastor Dave Harvey in this account from his book entitled, When Sinners Say I Do. And he writes this, I'd done it again. My wife had been running a little behind our intended schedule. Rather than waiting patiently or maybe actually stepping in to help, I did what I do so well. I pontificated, this time speculating aloud how many total minutes of our lives she had wasted in delays. My calculations didn't impress her, but the soul-crushing impact of my words was obvious on her face. Very smooth, Dave, I realized too late. Very constructive, a true word in season. You'd think a pastor, someone called to think and speak in thoughtful, helpful, biblical ways, would have found something better to say at that moment, or at least something a little less damaging. But despite my arrogant, sinful words, Kim was able once again to cover them over with love and patiently help me see what was wrong with them. While I'm immensely grateful for Kim's gracious, forgiving spirit, Still the question lingers, why aren't I more loving? After all, we've been married for more than two decades. I've been in ministry most of that time. I've read lots of marriage books, conducted numerous marriage seminars, and I really think Kim is a gift from God to me. If I love my wife, why do I find it so easy to treat her like I don't? Guys, I feel that way. I don't remember ever waking up and starting my day with the thought that this would be the perfect day to hurt my wife. This is a great day to say ugly things and crush her spirit with my hurtful words. But boy, have I ever done my share of damage over the years, and my wife, just like Kim, has covered it over with her love and patience. If we love our wives, why do we find it so easy to treat them like we don't? Because we take our eyes off of Christ. That's why. Because we succumb to sin rather than live in his spirit. Paul's point is this. Fellas, look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Do what he does. Love like he does. Let every interaction you have with your wife reflect Christ's love for her and for you. From now until the day you die, you are in no danger of ever loving your wife too much. A seminary student once became convinced that he loved his wife too much. And as I saw the story, I don't know why he thought that. I don't know if he thought too much about her, if she was distracting him from his studies. It didn't say why. But he got so concerned that he loved his wife so much that he decided to go talk to his professor about it. It was Howard Hendricks. And so we went to Howard Hendricks' office and said, Dr. Hendricks, I love my wife too much. And Hendricks said, well, do you love her as much as Christ loves the church? And the guy said, no. And so Hendricks said, then get with it, man. (laughs) 
You see, we can never be content with your love. No matter how much you love your wife, Christ loves you more. And that's your standard. Paul clarified the vastness of Christ's love for us back in Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 18 and 19, he's praying for us. He's praying for the Ephesians, actually. And his prayer is that they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Guys, every song we sing, every sermon we hear about the love of Christ is a challenge for us to love our wives that way. And Paul spells out back in our text a few ways that Christ loved the church specifically. He tells us that Jesus loved the church sacrificially. He loved the church sanctifyingly, which isn't a word, by the way. But, and he loved the church as his own body. And I want us to look at those three things. Paul's first illustration of Christ's love is in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. The greatness of God's love is demonstrated by the price he paid for it. Christ came as a sacrifice for the sins of the ones he loved. Christ denied himself and willingly bore our sins. And Paul calls the Christian husband to sacrifice. When potential harm may come to your wife, you bear that on your own body. When she suffers, you suffer or take it upon yourself when you can. We are to attend to our wives, defend our wives, and daily die to our self-interest and pride as we sacrifice for the good of the one we love. Maybe you've heard the story of NFL player Chris Spielman. You've heard of him maybe. Chris Spielman was a four-time pro bowler but prior to the 1989 season, his wife contracted cancer. And so Spielman decided that he was going to take the entire season off from football. And he said that during that fall, he couldn't even go outside because it smelled like football to him. And he couldn't watch the games. He couldn't even go to any of the home games because he missed it so much. Here's what he told Sports Illustrated. I told Stephanie that I wanted to be the one to take her to treatments. I want to be the one to hold her hand. I want to be the one to take care of my kids when she can't. Stephanie said, I knew we had a strong marriage, but when he did that for me and my family, what he did for us, I can never repay him. I just hope he never looks back and regrets it. And Spielman turned to the reporter and said, never. I would have considered myself a fraud if I didn't do this. Now, guys, you might be thinking the exact same thing I thought and that Spielman goes on to verbalize when he says, lots of guys would have done the same things. I'm just blessed because we have the money to do it. Now, most of us could probably not take a year off without any income like Spielman could. But the point is not in the details of what Spielman did. The point is that we are willing to sacrifice in ways that we can, putting our wives' best interests above our own desires. So maybe a man turns down the prestige of a promotion because the travel will take him away from his family during the week. Maybe a man reduces his time on the golf course until his kids are old enough to join him there. The key is an attitude of unselfishness. That's the key. We sacrifice what we desire for the sake of the one we love. 
Paul's second illustration of Christ's love is that he loves the church sanctifyingly in verse 26 and 7, where he says, So that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he may present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Sanctified, as you know, means set apart unto God. It's normally used to describe the growth process of a believer as we become conformed to the image of Christ. God sets us apart and makes us holy. And Paul says that God does this in us by cleansing or washing us with the word. That idea of washing with the word is a very interesting word picture from the Old Testament. Prior to marrying a monarch... A bride would go through an extensive period of cleansing and preparation. Esther, for example, if you read the book of Esther, she had 12 months of preparation before marrying the king. It says she had six months of treatments with oil of myrrh, and I don't know what that is. And she had six months of treatment with spices and cosmetics. So she had a year of spa treatments before, and then she went in and married the king. In Ezekiel chapter 16, God crafts a beautiful word picture uh, of him marrying his people, his bride. And if you read that, it says that he noticed them and he loved them. And so he washed them and he anointed them. And then he put a robe on them and put his ring on them. It's a picture of marriage. And Paul takes this picture of washing, of preparation, that a bride goes through and makes the point that the preparation for the bride of Christ is accomplished through the word of Christ. And Jesus said the same thing in John 15, 3. He said, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So God prepares us to present us to himself out of his great love for us. And it's a sanctifying love that God calls the Christian husband to have toward his wife. Now, obviously, we can't make our wives holy. Only God can do that. But there are parallels between Christ's love and the husband's love. And first, I think it involves our attitude toward her as we set her apart as special and unique, like Christ sets us apart as special and unique. Your wife is to be cherished. She is prized. She is in a category all by herself. But second, I believe it involves our spiritual role in her life. God calls the Christian husband to spiritual leadership for the good of his wife as we seek to promote her maturity. One of the goals of the Christian husband is to help his wife be prepared to meet Christ. And we accomplish that when we do three things. First of all, guys, of course, we need to nourish our own heart with the word. Colossians 3.16 tells us that when God's word richly dwells in us, it's then that we are able to teach and admonish others. But second, of course, we lead her to God's word. Since sanctification happens through the word, it's to the word that the Christian husband must take his family. But third, and kind of on the negative side, we never contribute to our wife's defilement. We never ask her to sin. We never promote any unholy thing in her. Instead, we seek to lovingly, humbly, and graciously help her eradicate the sin from her life. And she does the same for us. 
So the model we see in Christ is that he loved the church sacrificially. He loved the church sanctifyingly. And third, he loved the church as his own body, starting in 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. This is the fourth time in Ephesians alone where Paul tells us that we are the body of Christ. And he tells us that Jesus nourishes and cherishes us because we are actually members or parts of his body. And therefore, following his example, we husbands are to love our wives as our own bodies. We are to exercise the same comfort and care for her that we do toward ourselves. And Paul, of course, doesn't mean this in some arrogant way. He simply acknowledges that we treat ourselves in certain ways and we need to treat our wives in similar ways. Some examples. If you are mentally normal, which most of you are, you don't do yourself deliberate harm. And so you must never intentionally hurt your wife. When you're hungry and thirsty, you eat and drink, and so you need to make sure that your wife is provided for. When you're tired, you sleep, and when you need a break, you take a vacation. And so you need to make sure your wife gets the rest and refreshment that she needs. When you hurt, you seek out and remove the source of pain. And so you must care for your wife when she is hurting. If I were to take an object tonight and throw it at your face, you would block it with your hands or you would try to catch it. We try to defend ourselves. And so you must defend and protect your wife from danger. And the list goes on. You could come up with a whole long list yourself. But we love our wives as we love our own bodies. And in the next three verses, Paul concludes and summarizes his thoughts. In verse 31 through 33, he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Paul here looks back to Moses in Genesis chapter 2 when marriage was first created and he points out that all of these principles that he's been teaching here are a mystery. The word mystery refers to something that has been previously hidden. That's how that word is defined biblically, something that's been previously hidden. And what's been hidden about marriage from Genesis until the New Testament is that The marriage of a husband and a wife is a picture of Christ and the church. It is a model. And so Paul has continually brought both the husband and the wife back to Christ and his church and said, there's your example. Your marriage is to look like that. Your marriage is a copy of an original. And so wives are to submit as the church submits to Christ. Husbands are the head as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. All of this because marriage is a picture. And so both husband and wife seek to be the best reflection of Christ and the church that they possibly can be. 
And Paul concludes in verse 33 with just a summary statement. Husband, love your wife as yourself. Wife, see to it that you respect your husband. Just a few closing comments. I want for us to note that the picture that Paul develops for marriage is not the picture of a 50-50 split where you respond to your spouse expecting to be met halfway. In fact, Carrie Hardy is one of our seminary professors uh, here at Shepherd's Theological Seminary, and he points out that marriage is not even a 100-100 split where you go all out and your spouse goes all out. Instead, he says, the mindset we should have is that marriage is a 100-0 split. You treat your spouse as Christ commands, regardless of how your spouse responds. Now, I want to warn you ladies that this actually may be harder for you. I don't think that doing it is harder, but I think believing it might be harder. Because society and probably many of us believe that love should be unconditional. But most people also believe that respect must be earned. And that's not what God says in the text. God commands both unconditional love and unconditional respect. Both the husband and the wife are doing it for the Lord. We act out of obedience to God who defines our roles and instructs us how to live. Our standard is never what the other person is doing. Our standard is always Christ. And then husbands, please remember that headship expresses itself not in the demand to be served, but in the strength to serve and sacrifice for the woman God gave you. God calls you to love your wife the way he loves his church and gave himself up for her. So be a humble, sacrificial, self-denying spiritual leader. Exercise your authority in your home in a way that reflects biblical leadership. Constantly grow in grace and knowledge so that you are equipped to lead as an overflow of what is in your heart. And accept your responsibility and take your God-given place at the head of your family, leading them in paths of righteousness for Christ's namesake. Let's pray. Father, your word constantly is a challenge to me as it is to many of us. And Lord, I know that I so often and in so profound ways fall so short of what you've called me to do and to be. But Father, I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit and you've given us your grace and mercy. And Lord, I commit, and and I hope that many of us will, commit to being men, husbands, who will lead our families the way you have called us to and will love our wives the way you love them and the way you love us. I pray for every marriage represented here. I pray that that you will help all of us to remain true to the commitments we made when we stood at that altar. I pray that you will help us to have marriages that reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.